Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle and welcome to Headliners, your nightly perusal through the next day's news. And tonight we have two brilliant comedians who are nonetheless quite thin-skinned, so I must be careful what I say tonight. It's the idiotic Josh Howie and the simple-minded <laughs> Nick Dixon. Just thought I'd give that a go. Battle of the beards tonight, look at you both. Trimmed. <laughs> Looking very... Very elegant. Let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages. We're going to start with the Daily Mail. They lead with air chaos to hit half term as up to one million travellers can now face flight cancellations as Heathrow extends daily passenger cap to end of October. Not good news if you're going on a holiday. The Telegraph runs with Royal Navy backs out of migrant patrols. We're going to be talking about that in just a wee while. And affluent A-level pupils least likely to have offers of university place. The Guardian next. Job cuts on the cheap. Ministers accused as civil servants face sack. And dual strain COVID jab approved for boosters. We move on to the Financial Times, which leads with China cuts lending rate as retail sales and factory output decline. And on to the Mirror. They run with dying mum's plight. Heartbreaking reality of energy bills crisis. Mum can't afford to make final memories with her girls as cash goes on power. And now Tuesday's times, over 50s to be called for new COVID jab in weeks. And Tuesday's Daily Express goes with Truss, I will fight off bid to split union. And finally, we go to the front cover of the Daily Star. This is Predator, City Star in Dock. And there's a quotation from the prosecutor, Timothy Cray, in the trial of the Manchester City footballer, Benjamin Mendy. And those are tomorrow's front covers. And we're going to begin the show with an exclusive from Tuesday's Telegraph. This is on migrant patrols, Josh. What's happening here? So the Royal Mail, uh, which have presently been patrolling at the request of the government... Royal Navy. Royal, what did I say? Royal Mail. <laughs> I mean, that would be an interesting story <laughs> if they oh were doing really that. That is not <laughs> a good start. That's outsourced. We don't even have a story news. about the Royal Mail today. No, we don't. There's no, no we, excuse we do whatsoever for this. <laughs> Let me start again. OK. So... The, uh, the Royal Navy. The Royal Navy, definitely the Royal Navy, not the army or anybody else. Yeah. The people with the boats yep. have, were requested by the government to come in and patrol the channel. Yes. I believe I've got that bit right. You the have, channel, absolutely, yeah. That's the bit that goes between yeah. France it's and... Okay, water-based. So, yeah. <laughs> and they're basically... They have now informed the Home Office, they've got that bit as well, right, that this taxi service will now come to an end in the new year, January 31st. Well, this is not the new year, so... Uh, but, you know, after yeah. the year. Uh, and it's an interesting thing reading the article because you, the idea was it was bought in, I guess, as a, as a deterrent. Yes. But it's not a real deterrent because it's not like they're kind of puncturing these boats or shooting anything down. No, they're like, helping people. They're they? helping people. Yeah. Essentially, that's what they're doing. And that's why they said that it's really a sort of deluxe taxi service. I guess the idea was to bring the people straight to 
these kind of these centres to to be sort of yeah. registered and whatnot. Um, but it's not helping the situation. But it's is not it? helping. And it. I mean, the navy needs to be elsewhere. Yeah, There's well, that's it. Of course, certainly with Russia, what's going over there, uh, and they don't need, you know, and it's underfunded, arguably, anyway. So they're saying that, you know, there's already the Home Office, the Coast Guard, the Border Patrol. Yeah. Uh, these are the people. That's their job, and that's their remit. So unless the new prime minister comes in and says, no, you're still going to be doing it in the new year. Uh, this this part of it will come to an end. But the new prime minister, whoever it may be, is going to have to do something about this. I mean, these mm. these figures are quite shocking, aren't they? The uh, number of migrant crossings has doubled to more than twenty thousand this year, in spite of the navy's intervention. I mean, it's something. And also, you know, of course, if you are, this seems to be often to me to be reduced to a question of whether you're pro or anti-migrant. But of course, if you care about these people who are doing this, you have to recognise they're in one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world on these small blow-up boats. It's incredibly dangerous. Lots of people have died. Criminal gangs are exploiting them. You know, really, we've, we've got to sort this out for their sake more than anything. True, but obviously it just doesn't feel like this was the solution. No, it's not. It seemed like a good visual, and look, we're going to get the Royal Mail or Navy or whoever it is yeah. out there <laughs> delivering letters to these guys. Welcome I to the think UK. Probably the, uh, the French government bear a little bit of responsibility for all of this. Anyway, on to Tuesday's Guardian now, and Boris has basically clocked out, hasn't he, Nick? It does seem <laughs> that way. Uh, number 10 at Mitch Johnson will only be contacted if urgent while on holiday. So it, it, well, he's on his second holiday. He's just been to Slovenia. Now he's off somewhere else with Kerry. And, um, Probably Greece. He, he was spied in yeah, Athens. Greece. Like I think someone from Pete <laughs> magazine or some, yeah, pa some paparazzi it. spotted him in Athens. Yeah, and it's, it's quite funny because um, Brandon Lewis has come on, senior Conservative MP, and said, even when you're not in the office in Downing Street, <coughs> you are working. Well, not really. If you're only being contacted in an emergency, you're pretty much specifically not working. Yeah. But then, to be very fair, and you know I like to be fair, he does say, well, I can assure you he'll still be going through inboxes, <coughs> he'll still be dealing with national security issues where relevant. Being out of the country does not mean the Prime Minister stops working. Brackets, it kind of does. Yeah, but it does feel like... I mean, they use the phrase zombie government, lots of people are using that phrase, and it's, it's like this moment where two people are vying for the crown, and the one who's got the crown is like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just get on, go on holiday, yeah, yeah. I'm not, not first. And I do think there is an argument for Rishi to just concede so we can get on. We've got the right. cost of living crisis. We've got all these things. Boris is off on holiday. Why we're in this really long leadership contest? No one... People care a little bit, but Truss is basically winning by a mile. Why not just end it now? Put well, Truss in. Boris can go on as many holidays as he wants then. He'll be retired. I mean, Boris wanted to go, off, back go on until October. I mean, that would have been even well, worse. Well, so two things here. First of all, we're lucky that we have a deputy prime minister who's really also stepped up. Oh, no! No, no, he's not doing any meetings this week either. No major meetings. Not is there's anyone anything doing anything? Anything going on at, at all. the government? Is something happening? Well, no. Uh, well, actually, oh. there is a story coming up where amazingly the government did do something. Okay, but, but uh, it's all about the it's all about the leadership. It is all about. But it, this goes back to the question of like, why didn't just Boris resign at right. the time? I personally think it's because he was wanted this party at Chequers. And really? Then, you yeah, think it was I, just I, about I think that? it was just about that. Uh, they, you know, you know what it's like organising. You guys have not You're not married, but organising wedding is a massive faff. So he probably was like, "Oh, we're going to have to redo the invites. Going to have to do all this stuff." And then it came out that they were doing a checkers, and everyone was like, "Well, you can't do that now." And then, so even then, he he'd already sort of gone. I think, you think well, no, I think he probably had a, an eye on getting back in and thinking it wasn't over because there was that okay, petition well, raising all those signatures. Yeah. We want Boris back, Lord Crudus, wasn't it? And I still think part of him probably thought, "I can still w win this." I've just realised, Andrew, with your blue tie, you look a lot like a Tory. Could you step up? Uh, you know what? A lot of people have suggested that, but the trouble is, I'm not a Tory and I've never voted Tory, well, so I don't know if I would... Uh, Twitter do... says you are. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed. It says I'm a lot of things. It also says I'm a robust heterosexual. 
apparently. Anyway, on to Tuesday's Sun now, and uh, the leader of the Labour Party is offering up solutions. Are these too good to be true, Josh? I don't know if they're too... They're, this is what The Sun is saying. Strangely, oh, right. the, the Sun is, like, jetting back from his Spanish holiday <laughs> like he's this big multimillionaire. No, he went on holiday, and half of his interview this morning on Radio 4 was all about, oh, well, you've been on holiday. It's like, well, first of all, he's not in government. He's And secondly... Um, as, and he said, he said, I'm not going to apologise for going on holiday. He said, one of my, I've got two jobs. One is being the leader of the Labour Party, and the other one is being a father. But what so, is he? What is he promoting? So here? The promotion, yeah. So what he has promoted, and first of all, and the other thing I just got to say is, he was being criticised last week about not having a plan. Now he's come back with a plan, and everyone's criticising. Right. But it's 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 an idea, and it's not necessarily a new idea. But the idea is that that he's going to cap. Um, the uh, energy costs as they are. Yes. Uh, it's going to be. He's promising 29 billion plan to help up hard up families to save around a thousand pounds. Right. Uh, now this and is... they're going to. And he's going to be paying for it by beefing up the windfall tax again with. Um, but, the but, but, but a similar idea was previously proposed by yeah. uh, Scottish Power boss Keith Anderson. Yeah. And this article mentions this, and, and this was back in April. And he was basically saying, you know, we will freeze the bills for two years and the government will subsidise people yeah. so that we, people don't get plunged into poverty. Yeah. But Rishi Sunak said no. Well, Rishi Sunak but this is what uh, Keir Starmer is saying. But the interesting thing also is that it would, the idea is then it would keep inflation down or right. take it down by 4%. And that is very important in terms, certainly when it comes to negotiations and all these, all these supposed pay rises and people striking and whatnot... That 4% makes a big difference when everyone says, oh, inflation's gone up 11% and we've only got a 5% yeah, pay so it's, it's increase. Not, so if it was actually like 9%, it's much more justifiable yeah. to go, well, just... Inflation, as well. it's not yeah. just the, the cost of living, yeah. it's, it's the inflation so that, well. It seems like a good idea to me, but obviously a Tory MP's come out and said it's magical solutions, whatever. It's like, that seems like a sensible solution. At least it's a, a solution. Well, I didn't even think that Gordon Brown's suggestion of nationalising the services was that bad. No. A, 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 but you're a big lefty, Andrew, so you loved it. Well, what do you think, Nick? Well, what, what, it's what, got there, a blue tie right? Yeah, I've got a blue tie. Is it confusing you? Well, I think, I mean, I, I think from a purely political perspective, this is the danger, again, of the zombie government, because you get people like Brown and people like Starmer to step in with more socialist solutions, and Truss, of course, says, no, no, I'm going to lower taxes, and that's how I'm going to do it. But as we saw at the GB forum the other day in Lee on GB News with Liz Truss, uh, someone said to her, yeah, but the problem is I need help now. So this is the problem. People need help now with the cost of living. Boris is on holiday. We've got this leadership campaign. Tories really need to do something about it because Labour are now stepping up and saying, you know, we would have the solution. Even if they can't do anything, it doesn't look good for the It Tories. doesn't. I mean, the people need to think that something is going to be done yeah. because these figures are getting out of control. Every few days there's another story that's going to be even more expensive come next year. You know, this is something that whoever the new leader is really going to have to get a grip on, yeah. surely. Anyway, on to Tuesday's Independent now. Some classic victim-blaming from the Islamic Republic of Iran. Nick, what a surprise. That's so, so, so Islamic Republic of Iran. This is what they're like, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Gosh. Well, you know, they, they've been saying this for a long time, that Salman Rushdie, responsible I, for... I thought they were great guys, left-wing Twitter's been telling me, but Salman Rushdie stabbing, Iran denies involvement and says author himself is to blame for attack. I mean, you'd assume, since the fatwa was put, put there by Iran, they could get rid of it, but no, it's, it's Saddam... It's, uh, sorry, sorry, not even Saddam, it's Salman Rushdie's fault. So, the shocking thing, he says that uh, we... So, this is... Um, who is this? This is their foreign... Can you, well, I've forgotten the guy's name. Anyway, basically, Iran have said the incident of the attack on Salman Rushdie. Kanani. Thank you. That guy. Mr. Kanani. They're saying they don't, do not consider that anyone deserves blame and accusations except him and his supporters. Yeah, this is Nasser Kanani. And the other thing he said that really bothered me, he said, um, he said, the West condemning the actions of the attacker and in return for glorifying the actions of the insulter to Islamic beliefs is a contradictory attitude. 
which it's not a contradictory attitude not. at all. It's no, an entirely no, no. consistent with our values. I mean, also, one of them wrote a book in the 80s, one of them stabbed someone in the neck. I mean, they're not equivalent at all. So he's saying this is some no. sort of hypocrisy on our part, which yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we, I suppose it's about getting into the mindset of people who feel that... Uh, I mean, let's face it, the, the, the mullahs of Tehran do not believe in freedom of speech. They don't really? think that they think that you know they think that if you insult their religion, then you should you deserve to die. Okay, so this is a fundamentally incompatible worldview to the worldview mm. that we hold. Uh, and I can bet you anything that they haven't read the book anyway. Yeah, it, but, it's, you know. and I said the other night when we talked about this that we've become increasingly soft on those two issues: free speech and Islamic extremism. Mm. But then I was watching an old Question Time from I believe it was from 2007. Even then, Shirley Williams was saying that. Uh, Salman Rushdie shouldn't receive a knighthood yeah. in case it angered people, yeah, yeah. which is an appalling attitude. It's appeasement. Yeah, it was appalling then, it's appalling now. Yeah. Josh, any further thoughts? Well, just uh, also, I don't really understand this idea that it's his supporters are also to be blamed. Like, right, well, any, yes, I mean, anyone who is justifying a novelist writing a novel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know. it's, it's pretty... And, you know, and let's remember that it was only in 2012 that, er, that Iran actually upped the bounty yes. by another half million. So right. this isn't like ancient history. And, I mean, the thing is, even if it was uh, insulting to their faith, so what? Yeah. He's allowed to insult their faith. Look, I mean, this is the thing. Know, if you are a Muslim, then, of course, that's offensive to you and, if, and you will not blaspheme because that's part of your moral right. system or part of your belief system. So don't that's buy fine. the book. But I'm not a Muslim. You guys aren't Muslims. If you're going to, you know, if you want to insult Judaism, it's like that's, it, that doesn't... It's not going to stop me... Believing no. my beliefs. And if there was a book yeah. that offended your faith... Don't do it, Nick. He's, no, don't <laughs> He's do ready. It, He's ready. But you wouldn't read a book that was likely to upset Maybe you I know? will read I read uh, The God Delusion. I right. read it and I was like, yeah, I disagree with parts of this. And I, I deliberately read it to be provoked. I mean, the thing is, I, what I really didn't do it... I mean, look, I would say this because Salman Rushdie is one of my favourite novelists, but The Satanic Verses is a brilliant book and people should read it. All these people I see online say, oh, well, it's boring anyway, it's rubbish. It's Well, you haven't read it, clearly. It's it's a fantastic piece of work. Well, right? that's a fairly ridiculous uh, argument. Boris Johnson used that in the past, a fairly glib argument that, oh, well, whether we should give him a knighthood, he said, well, it's not a very good book. A comedian used the same... Uh, argument just the other day, so on, online. So yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And I will say as well, some of the takes on this have been absolutely pathetic. Jolly and Morn weighed in and said oh, there was an article on free speech. Said, but it doesn't engage with relative power. We need to know if it's challenging or embedding power. This is the guy that embedded a baseball bat in a fox's head, by the way. And he's got a terrible take on everything. What well, it's not to do with relative power. It's to do with free speech. This is incredible. Yeah. Jolly Morn, who's a tax lawyer and Twitter activist, from what I can see, uh, is basically equivocating yeah. and talking about the way in which uh, you know. I mean, it's the typical. Yeah, uh, everything in terms of power. It's not, I don't think it's about the left. I think it's this, really? this critical social justice woke ideology. They see everything as, they see all expressions of art as basically either uh, upholding privilege or, um, and attacking the marginalised or, or, or defending the marginalised against the privilege. They, they can only see it in that way. Yeah, but and that's not what leftist, yeah. doesn't this come from Foucault and this kind of postmodernist type of thinking? Exactly, yeah. but that's why I don't think it's leftist particularly. Oh, but I, I think it is interesting that for you have managed to kind of show how knowledgeable you are on his Salman Rushdie's books. Uh, like it's uh, good for you to show like how well read you are. Is that what I'm is that what this is I'm really just saying, about? Like, with what, when we were on free speech <laughs> yesterday, you were like cred you're doing all these quotes of all the different the books. Is, the reason like, I look, do that Josh. Look at me everybody I've read all I, these I love books. that Josh has a, things I've got an extra he is one of my favourite novelists. Okay. What so I'm going to do that because his books are well, brilliant. What's annoying is someone, maybe if you read a few well, of if them. someone attacked <laughs> Enid Blyton, then I'd be able to do loads <laughs> yeah, yeah, of Yeah, 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 exactly. We've, we've read different books because I'm not into magic realism. I was saying no. I haven't read Marquez either. But no. doesn't mean he should be attacked, though, does No, it? but, I mean, I think, you know, I'm particularly enthusiastic about this because I love this novel. He's the, one of the few living novelists who I will go out and buy his new books when they come out 
and read them, and I don't do that with. But many still, not kids. the central issue, is it, on whether you should be attacked? Ultimately, it doesn't. Even if his books were terrible, I'd still be saying you he shouldn't be attacked yeah. for writing them. I mean, it comes down yeah, to yeah. this. Oh, anyway, Josh trying to show me up there. I'll get him back in the next part. Anyway, we're going to move on now to uh, a really sexy story now from Tuesday's Guardian on big leaking pipes. Yeah, so this... Actually, this was raised about a week ago by the Lib Dems, but there's calls now for water companies uh, who have made immense profits, who have yeah. not been reinvesting those uh, that, that money into pipes. Uh, they ha haven't invested in any reservoirs. They haven't fixed the leaps. They are not stopping the sewage pollution. So there are calls for the bosses to not get their bonuses until this stuff is sorted. So the bosses uh, of these water companies, they've received 58 million in pay. This, this mm. is privatisation. 58 million in pay over the last five years, I should say. Sorry. Also, shareholders have been paid 72 billion in dividends. That's come out of the water industry. These, these companies have debts of 56 billion and the prices have gone up 40%. So why can't they fix their pipes then? Because, well, because guess what? They're private companies and they've gone in, they go, hey, we're going to make as much money as possible, we're going to pay our shareholders, we're going to pay our bosses, we're going to make millions and billions of pounds, and guess who's going to get the brunt of it? But I don't think people appreciate the extent of this. You know, we have got 1.1 trillion litres of water every yeah. year leaking out of well, shoddy old pipes. It, that's actually... A quarter. A quarter of all the water. Yeah. And then here we are saying, there's a drought, we can't use hose pipes, and just fix They, they haven't pipe. built any new reservoirs yeah. since this happened. And, you know, you're talking about um, earlier about privatisation. This is absolutely a case for privatisation because they have a monopoly. Yeah. We have no choice. It's not like you can go from East Anglia water to other... You know, they have... they carved up the country and you have to accept their business. I mean, Nick, even though you're a big defender of, of private companies, I think <laughs> you, you would admit that the government should get involved here when, you know, it's affecting everyone. It's not that we can opt out of water. Yeah, it depends to what degree. I, I noticed that Fergal Sharkey, former undertone singer, who is now a Rivers campaigner. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big career shift, isn't it? That's the biggest career shift I've seen. Since Not really. I mean, he's, he's from he's from Derry, and the, the River Foyle is a beautiful. But that one is of the a big change. Now, that's the biggest change I've seen since Andrew Doyle went from teacher to far right agitator. But he says that <laughs> we need to put, we need to put in place an enforcement order where they can legally demand that water companies do things exactly at the government's choosing when the government wants. Right. Isn't that isn't that communism though? But I do admit it's a huge problem with this. We, we did cover uh, this leak. Come on. It's not communism, is it, to get involved with something is, you know, it's one of those basic necessities of life. It is. We are mostly composed of water, aren't we? I'm not a scientist, but something like that. You know, I think it's important. They always say it's 80% with Josh, it's, it's, it's like 95, but yeah. A bit more, a bit more with Josh. Anyway, we're going to move on got uh, now to another story. This is a positive news now for a change. This is from Tuesday's Metro. Nick. Yep, game-changing scientific breakthrough changes blood type of donor kidneys. So researchers okay. have successfully altered the blood type of three donor kidneys and this could have a massive impact on patients waiting for a transplant because if you've got someone with an A blood type, or which is more rare, that can be changed to the universal O type, which will allow more transplants to take place. And they do it in a pretty standard way. It's your classic normothermic perfusion machine, which just... Uh, I was going to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah all yeah. about that. Yeah. I think I've read... Isn't that one of Salman Rushdie's novels? It is one of Salman Rushdie's <laughs> oh, okay. novels, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's a later work. Yeah. Flush, so this flushes blood infused with an enzyme through the deceased donor kidney, and the enzyme removes the blood type markers that line the blood vessels of the kidney, which lead to the organ being converted to the O-type. So that, that's they, the way out of it. They get one of those big hoses, you know, the hoses that you put, you clean, like, the outside of your foyers and all that stuff. Well, I don't. The high-pressure water flow, they just do that with a liver, like, push all that blood out and all the enzymes out, and then... They're, that's they're your scientific good. take on that. I'm giving you, like, a layman's... But, you know, this is great right. news, isn't it? Like, for people waiting on transplant lists, and now, you know, mm. they can make... 
you know, the kidneys can fit into more bodies, basically. It's huge news. I did have the stray thought. Do you think people who hate us online, what would they do if they, they were going to get some blood or a kidney or something, but it came from GB News or, like, came from, like, Andrew Doyle? That would be interesting. And then it would be like the plot of a film. They get my kidney right. and they suddenly start reading Salman Rushdie novels. Yeah, and they're talking about free speech. And talk about free speech yeah, yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. I thought the interesting part of this article, although this is fantastic news for, for, for people waiting uh, for transplants, is the, uh, the ethnic element here because 9% of organ donations um, come from black and minor minority ethnic donors, but ethnic patients make up 33% of people who need kidneys. Oh, so yeah. there's this there's a sort of interesting thing here and one of the persons that, that they've got because type B is the rarer type. Yes. So that essentially people from ethnic minority backgrounds have to wait like a third longer, ah. sometimes 6 to 10 years longer. So I think there's this is obviously particularly going to be advantageous for them but then you have to sort of wonder why not wonder why but um, Encourage ethnic minorities to because it can go against some like religious elements, of course, yes, Islam yeah. and things like that. So absolutely, uh, it is interesting, and this is this is amazing news. But it is good news, and we always like a bit of good news. Well done, Cambridge on University, because we don't normally have it anyway. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm still Andrew Doyle. He's still Josh Howey, and he's most definitely Nick the Big Dog Dixon. So let's. Crack on. We've got Tuesday's Independent now and a stark warning from uh, your mate, Donald Trump. Nick. Yeah, we are mates. Trump warns terrible things are going to happen as he's blamed for anti-FBI violence. There's tremendous anger in the country at a level that's never been seen before other than during very perilous times, Trump says, and he's saying that the temperature has to be brought down. And, you see, Trump... So he is trying to bring the temperature down, but he's making a, a, a true point that... The, the investigation of Trump and similar things are going to escalate tensions. We've already seen, for example, the arrest of Roger Stone where they raided his house. They're trying to put Bannon in prison now. We saw Peter Navarro, formerly in the Trump administration, put in shackles, leg shackles, and arrested. And so this is bound to cause problems because the government, government is, is abusing its power to threaten its opponents. There's just no other way of looking so, at it. But how do we... You know, the truth is that the FBI... Perception and trust in the FBI is so... Low. Could yeah. there have been... I mean, they're talking here about, you know, the allegation that he had classified documents in the house. Would there have been another way to do this? Of course. And he points out the other day, Obama had millions of classified documents. The, 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 it's a very bad... Whichever side you're on, you should be against this because it's escalating tensions in America. It, it's, it's, it's not going to be good for the country. And, by the way, Trump here, the claim will be on the left that Trump's somehow inciting violence. I don't think he is. We see that the left, whenever there's a problem, they and they go and burn everything down. Kavanaugh, by the way, Supreme Court, because of the recent decisions with abortion and because, uh, because of some of the gun control stuff, a guy went to Kavanaugh's house with a gun to kill him. This is in the New York Times, so it's a lefty paper. Yeah. And he was, he was prevented. But, ironically, he said one of his problems was that Kavanaugh was going to be too loose on gun control, the guy with a gun who wants to kill Kavanaugh. So, remember... Let, there's violence on both sides, but Trump's trying to say, look, don't do this because you will... You'll create chaos. Look, Josh, don't we, don't we think that, irrespective of where you stand on this issue uh, or where your support base lies or whether you are, have an affinity for the Republicans or the Democrats, this kind of thing and the way in which it's played out can actually play into... Firstly, it can play into Trump's hands, mm. but it also does raise the temperature. It does raise temperature, and he's the one who's raising the temperature. He says the temperature... On one hand, he's saying the temperature has to be brought down. On the other hand, he's saying we're not going to stand for another scam. Yeah. It's like he's the it... one raising the temperature. This is his defence for doing something illegal, which is taking top-secret documents 
out of the White House and into his do you not private think, residence. Do you not think, though, that uh, you know that they must have known that he would use spin this to his advantage? Well, that must have been. Well, the they case. have a job, which is to uh, prevent law breaking, or in this case, to track down top secret documents that have been removed from the well, White House. So Nick, Nick's shaking his head. Well, they weren't well, top Josh secret. Was shaking oh, his head well, throughout uh, my bit and pointing at the story. And it's, well, it's because they're it's, top secret documents. He you're broke the, only the law. Person that thinks this in the in oh, the, world. the whole world, yeah. That he, that, that, you and a couple of communists. It's, it's so upset. Uh, the only time they've investigated a former president in this way, they go to his yes, house. Yes, because he's the only person they, who's taken top secret documents. No, he's not the only person. Obama took a load of documents exactly. What top secret? It was exactly the same. Oh, he took the same documents with well, nuclear, well, Trump, nuclear, Trump, Trump, nuclear secrets, right? Took... Trump is suggesting that they've been declassified. That's the Well, no, he's saying they've been declassified, but, but that's his defence now, because, they've been, because he's saying his law is that any document that he ever took out of the White House isn't, no, isn't is now declassified. I've got to be allowed to come back okay, on okay. Yeah, come on. What about the two... You start going what about, communists. No, what about the two imp failed impeachments, total nonsense? What about the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, complete waste of time, waste of taxpayers' money, another fraud? They're, you must realise they'll do anything they can to take Trump out. You're like, oh, the FBI is totally legitimate. They go to his house in Florida. They said the lawyers have to look at the war. You've got to turn the cameras off. This whole thing's absurd. Why is Peter Navarro in leg shackles? Oh, so, so, so the stuff they took why out. Why in leg shackles? So they so, planted see, it, like he's saying. So you're following what he's saying, which is no. Actually, I'm saying the lawyers well, not look saying. at what was happening. So you're saying. So you're going with his Everyone. narrative, which is, oh, they could put in anything they want. That's what he's saying. Well, I think you're this, going with this, it. Your sort of dispute in different perspectives is, you know. It's, it's going to be inevitable, but but ultimately, I, I'm interested in the way in which this plays out and the way in this this is perceived. It's a pyrrhic victory. Josh can say all he wants. It's good that they're doing it. It's not good. It's pushing America to, towards some sort of civil war. It's a pyrrhic victory because you anger half the country. You can hate them all you want. I know people. I don't hate in anybody. London who mate. Want this Trump... is a different country. No, no. I don't care. It's America. No, no. I know people in London who want Trump to die in jail. They're obsessed well, with good for, for some reason. Well, that's, that's, that's they... who I'm not talking no, about. No, but I'm that. saying people think like that. It's dangerous for the country. Well, look, it's not a way to treat oh, yeah. political we, opponents. They'll do the same to you. I've got to move yeah. on. I've got to move on. Tuesday's Daily Mail now, and the degrees aren't worth the paper if they're written on. If you're an accountancy firm, so that is. Josh. Making one final point about Trump. No joking. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> do not assert <laughs> my role as host. Josh, I've follow the path. Okay. Uh, this is quite interesting. So PwC, uh, which is a big accountancy firm, yes, have said that you no longer need a 2.1 degree um, if you want to go and work for them. Okay. So. I didn't realise how many people had a 2-1 or above or a first. What is it? It's, it's basically 83%, if I've got my master's. No, that can't be right. Yeah, 83%. So only 17% of graduates do not receive a 2-1 or, or less now. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's great surprising. inflation. I know that is. So really what they're saying is they're opening up their... Uh, their job market to the bottom thirteen percent. I mean, that's can't be good. Well, can well, I, I, I mean, know. I don't want to sound like a snob. No, but they're yeah. basically <laughs> saying that there are right. attributes and all-round proven capabilities. There weren't that that maybe many people getting getting that level of a, of a degree when I was at university. Well, obviously, yeah, but there's been great inflation. Now that you pay for it that much more, you kind of you got to get. Oh, more great! So that devalues my degree. Oh, completely. Yeah. Well, look, mate. I think you did all right with your box. Fam Oxfam <laughs> degree. Well, doctor of whatever it is. <laughs> Salman Rushdie. Doctor of reading. Charities. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, Nick. Yeah, so I'm both vehemently against this and in favour of it, depending. So if it's just lowest common denominator scraping the barrel, oh, we'll accept anyone now, we'll lower this bar, you know what I mean? That kind of lowest common denominator thinking, which is the way we ended up with a comprehensive school system and declined from grammar schools, which is another story. I hate that kind of thing. But if it really is, like, you know, bigotry of low expectations, I hate that. But if it is just actually 
opening up to other things other than academic qualifications, which are fairly pointless, then I totally agree with it. it when it says here um, they're going to diversify its graduate intake through broader access to talented young people who may not have top, ap top academic achievements, but have the attributes and all-round proven capabilities for a career. So we all know a lot of these degrees are not that useful. So if you've got other attributes, there's no reason you shouldn't be considered. So you see, depending uh, yeah, but, on which take it is, I don't know whether uh, to be in yeah, favour or they're, not. They're talking about this is to increase socioeconomic diversity. Poorer people, effectively. Now, look, you don't... I mean, I went to a comp, you know, I was on a full grant because we didn't have much money. So it, you can still You're achieve... It's not correlated, yeah. yeah. No, you, and, and I think it's a bit patronising mm -hmm. to people from working-class backgrounds to say you can't get a 2-1 or higher. Yes, you can. Yeah. Uh, especially you can if it is grades have inflated you, to such a degree. And, and you can argue that those socioeconomic factors would be more prevalent when you're 15, 16, 17, 18. When so someone's exactly. left and in university and in their early 20s, at that point, either you're getting down and doing the hard work yeah. to get your degree and do get an OK grade... I think you might have more of a case at A-level, right? So, yeah. so Because, yeah. you know, it's definitely the case that private school kids are grilled and drilled and, and they will get those grades irrespective of their level of talent. They'll get their A's, mm. right? And a working-class kid at a, at a comp yeah. maybe won't, right? And maybe universities do need to take that into account. But once you're at university, yeah. you shouldn't be having that. I mean, particularly with so many people getting two ones, you shouldn't be having that. No. You, know, well, and you shouldn't be able to look, get these top jobs. Look, I, yeah, I, was saying, I went degree. to a terrible comprehensive and got a good grade as well. But it's easy to imagine someone who maybe di didn't get themselves together at university but has other life skills who would be better than the two one person. That's quite easy to imagine for me. Possible. The only problem is it does also further devalue the people with degrees. And I think people with degrees, you know, should be made aware of this kind of thing if once they're going to spend the money, even though mm. education for its own sake is good as well. But oh. Right, on to Tuesday's Times now. Middle-class jobs seem pretty easy, Nick. Yep, two-thirds of desks empty as staff stay home most of the week. So a study in uh, 13 countries has shown that work from home has become the norm Workers are travelling to the office an average of 1.4 days a week, with attendance on Fridays dropping to 12%. This was a study of 80 offices in 13 countries, representing 80,000 employees. So it's a lot of people, and it does seem that people want to work from home. So what's happened? Now, is this just the pandemic? People just got used yes, to it? Yes, they're blaming yeah. it on that. They're saying the hybrid working genie is out of the bottle due to the uh, lockdowns, not the pandemic. I call it the lockdowns. But people... It's a few things, Andrew. People are lazy, even against their own interests. I mean, look, I did almost 2,000 gigs, or I've done, in, in comedy over 11 years. I didn't want to do a single one of them, but I'm glad I did, because, you know, you get things from it. So, of course, given the option, one thinks, now I'll just stay at home, even if it's better for you, and even if it's more productive sometimes to go in. But I do sympathise, because commuting is horrible, especially with train yes. and tube strikes. And I've been... At the same time, I've worked from home in the past and found that you... Sometimes you can get more done, but there's also a lack of meaning and an isolation that goes with it. A taxi driver was telling me the other day that uh, there was a banker who was threatened to sue his company to, to say, no, I want to go back into work. And, and last thing I'll say, an interesting thing Elon Musk does is he, he allows top performers to work from home as a reward, which is another interesting thing. Last point, actually, I will say, we can't do it. I have to come here to GB. There's a, I have to go to Swindon for another thing. But you and enjoy coming in here, right? I love coming here. But obviously, doing comedy gigs, I hated having to travel all around the country. The irony was, when we finally did Zoom gigs, I hated them and didn't do them either. Well, own. you know, but, what do you think, Josh? Because, you know, ultimately, people are just becoming accustomed to working from home. And, you know, I understand the point that a lot of people don't enjoy their jobs and don't enjoy going in, and that's horrible. You know, and you would want to avoid, but ultimately, you have a job to do. And isn't it part of being in, part of the community at work and seeing people? And yeah, I think you, and... I agree with bosses. Some bosses are saying that it, it, there's something being lost by just keeping yeah. people at home. And also, the younger workforce who might be 
um, living in flats and not having the space, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily good for mental health to be sort of, in a way, locked up. Like yeah, that. maybe this so, is just where we are now. Well, I think That's... this hybrid thing, but then it's it's going to have an interesting impact on our cities, on our inner cities, on the u how to reuse these spaces, yeah. these office spaces. So there's a there's a larger ramification. It, it was coming into play even before COVID. Yeah. It just obviously got massively accelerated. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Tuesday's Telegraph next, and amidst all this hardship, let's spare a thought for the privately educated. Yeah, so they're saying that inflation is going to be is pushing private school education above half a million pounds. Now that is for a child who starts boarding school uh, seven years or under and stays through boarding school the whole time, and that's with. And, and what is it for up. day schools? It's... For day schools, it's about twenty thousand pounds a year at the moment. Uh, for boarding schools, about thirty-seven. I mean, 000 some pounds. of these fees are absolutely huge. I mean, it says here Brighton College charges yeah. forty-six grand a year. Yeah, charter house forty-four thousand. Um, so this is a huge amount of money. They're saying you need like an income of about a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand pounds to be able to pay for that. I think, first of all, sending your child to boarding school at six, seven is not good. Yeah, uh, I think depends my, on the parents. It does depend. That's true. Actually, in my case, I went to boarding school. I'm slightly traumatized, as uh, people so, can obviously. I don't even know the difference between Royal Mail and Royal Navy. So I didn't learn, <laughs> I didn't learn very much. We would have forgotten about it if you hadn't. The, the wasted okay. wasted well, education, but. <laughs> This is what I genuinely do believe is I wish that that money, my parents had just kind of put it, bought a flat. <laughs> and then you could benefit from that today. That you would, that's yeah. what you, and then you could rent out, buy a house somewhere. It would have been a huge benefit because it would have be, been so much It would have gone up so much yeah. more. Yeah, you could then have You would never it. work today in your life. Look, we, mustn't, <laughs> we mustn't use the show to settle scores yeah. with parents. No. Um, Nick, oh. I mean, look, the thing is, this that's is an awful, an, an awful lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I do worry about this as well because actually, if you're paying this much money for your child's education, and actually these are the very schools, these very posh, privileged schools that are pushing uh, this ideological nonsense the most. So in fact, in fact, they're the worst kind of education at the moment in the well, current, that current is, climate. That may be true. And also, it's just going to push the gap even wider because if, imagine you still can afford this. Imagine how loaded you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you still can afford this, so it, may, it makes the gap even wider between the so-called have-nots and have-yachts, which is a term I've heard on the internet. But to me, it just reminds me once again of the decline of the grammars, which I did a, a podcast on the other day that Peter, Peter Hitchens said was rather good, which in his... I mean, his in his work, world, that's a massive compliment. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and it's just something that makes me so angry because my my parent, my dad came from a poor background, but he got to go to a grammar school because he was smart, past yeah. 11 plus. We lost all that post about 1965, changed the comprehensives. We, we lost all that. And that, that people could have got a great education without paying, and we had social mobility, and that's gone. And this is just another nail in the coffin of social yeah. mobility and edu education. I have to say, Although I, I lot, can't even talk about A lot of these schools aren't able, that, funnily enough, now that, that a lot of these schools are not going to Oxbridge and not getting... As we saw on the front page of one of the newspapers Yeah, that's here, true, that's is true. ...is that actually going to the suspense school doesn't guarantee you those places anymore. But then, like, as Nick says, the, you know, you might end up in a, a school that isn't very good because we don't have a grammar school well, system fine. anymore. Well, that's fine, you're just going to get a job with PwC PwC, because they, they don't have any standards anymore. Yeah. Great, OK. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, and Josh Howie and Nick Dixon. So we're going to crack straight on with Tuesday's Telegraph. This is... Now, apparently I mispronounced his name earlier. Graham Sunus. Sunus? Yes? Sunus. Right, now, this is some kind of football person, and he. Uh, this is about a response to an online onslaught he's faced, yes? Yep. 
Graeme Souness doesn't regret a word of comments that spark sexism row, and that's exactly right. Never apologise to these people, Andrew. I mean women. No, I mean the mob that wants you to apologise, of right. course. So, Graeme Souness said the other day it's a man's game, talking about men's football, and he clearly meant, as opposed to a boy's game or hypothetical softer men's game, I he was see. referring to the fact that referees have become a bit more lenient again this season, reminding him of earlier times when it was more robust. So, you know, in the okay. 70s, you could basically kill a guy. If you go far enough back, in, like, the 50s, you could... Push the keeper into the net and try and kill him. But nowadays it's, you know, VAR. Really? Was that allowed? That was many years ago. Was it ago. not frowned upon, surely? <laughs> it was allowed many decades ago until there were too many people got injured. So, but football used to be much more robust. Graham Sinners is saying that. But this being the modern world and where we are, some of the female footballers have, have kicked off online. Uh, Bethany England said, Get in the bin. What a disgraceful thing to say after this, this summer the country's just seen. You have to be pretty stupid or pretty disingenuous to say that. He's not referring to women at all. He's simply saying men as opposed to, as I say... As, as opposed to boys. Yeah. And we, those, those kind of phrases have been around for years. It separates the men from the boys, etc. So, absolutely... so he's not doubling... But he's not, he's not going to apologise. He's going to... No, because he's... he knows what he meant. And why should he apologise? It's absurd. And there was also a moment where he said it was a great game, it was just men at it. And then the, the female opponent sort of looked ironically towards the camera, like I do sometimes. And you just think, this is why we shouldn't well, he... have women in our spaces. Goodness me, Nick. <laughs> I knew you'd have to go too far. Yeah, but what, what he said wasn't sexist. What I said may have been, but let's... I think, I think most definitely what you said was. Mm. But I think this is the point, isn't it, that, that they are entitled to criticise what he said and, in fact, to misinterpret what he said, if indeed that is what it is. Um, but he's also entitled not to apologise and get on with it, right? Yeah, That's how absolutely. this works, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said, I, look, I'd never heard of him. I'm, I don't watch what he says. He's talking about, he says, our game has always been unique. It's always been more meaty. And mm. I, it just doesn't, that doesn't inspire me. To, I don't really want to watch meaty football. I do. Or any, yeah? That's it's the only type of football I do want to oh, watch. Okay, fair enough. And I say that as yeah, a Yeah, men were playing men, they were falling out with each oh, other. Oh, God. Is it getting you a bit hot and bothered? Yeah, I'm, I can't. I've got to move on. Anyway, uh, Tuesday's Times once more. Jerry Sadowitz demanding an apology, Josh. Now, we, we, of course, have been speaking about this the other day, the, uh, yeah. the comedian Jerry Sadowitz. Give us a background to this. So, Jerry Sadowitz uh, was doing uh, his a show in Edinburgh uh, at the Pleasance, or organised by the Pleasance uh, Theatre, which is one of the uh, venues up in Edinburgh, probably arguably one of the most prestigious ones. And after the first night, they came out and said there were a bunch of walkouts, which turns out there wasn't actually that many walkouts at all, no. and we're going to cancel his show for the second night. Now, there's always some walkouts at a Jerry Sadowitz show. There's always right? some walkouts at every single show. Yeah, there's that. Uh, but he's, and they basically said this was they they gave they came out with this contradictory statement that it was uh, they're all up for free speech and and they don't want to censor what comics do. But then at the same time they said this stuff was but this stuff we can't say you know so it was totally contradictory. Then they've doubled down. Then they've obviously had a bit of blowback. So they've doubled down and essentially called him racist and sexist and bigoted. And we have all... to be clear, his yeah. on-stage persona is racist, sexist, Absolutely. bigoted, etc. But it's a persona. Yeah, and it's, it's in the context of a comedy show. Right. And so he's had to come out now and say, well, wait a minute, I, w I didn't want to embarrass the Pleasants, but actually it didn't re I didn't really have that many walkouts. It was a good show and I have to fight them because they're sort of, and he's sort of had to, and he's done the worst thing, which he's been forced to do something terrible, which is to have to justify himself in well, terms of to explain that he actually puts thought into his acts. Once you start talking about comedy, it's not funny. This is one thing, Nick, I found quite tragic about it, because it does feel like he's had to break character mm. to explain how his act works to these utter halfwits <laughs> who don't appear to understand comedy and yet are running a comedy venue. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. And uh, I've supported him immediately since it happened on Twitter. And I wish I was a respected comedian, Andrew, and then I could just tear it all down over this, but it doesn't really matter what I say, or Leo, or even the mighty Andrew Doyle, because 
the cathedral comedians have to speak out about it. Basically, and by that you mean? I mean Stuart Lee, basically. Hey, to be fair, some of them have. When I say cathedral, I mean the establishment comedians in the in the lefty bubble. And Catherine Ryan has come out and said something, which is good. Richard Herring even has. So it'd be interesting to see if, if some of the others do. And a guy but, called Simon Evans? I, I don't uh, know if you've yes, heard of him. Yes, <laughs> Evans is sort of on can our not, team. So. Do we not think but, that there, there should be a case? Why aren't comedians at the Pleasants saying, well, we're not going to do our shows? And I mean the mainstream ones. I mean the ones with the big yeah, audience. Yeah, well, I said I would love to boycott the Pleasants if I hadn't already boycotted the entire festival and the comedy industry. So it wouldn't yeah, be much for me, but they should be. And I just want to say, come back on their statement, which was so pathetic. Their initial statement was pathetic. Their second one was even worse. It had all the buzzwords of, you know, whatever you want to call it, wokeness. It had, like, all the isms. It had unsafe. It had yeah. progress, so-called global majorities found a way in a changing world. This was the most baffling paragraph. In a changing world, stories and language that were once accepted on stage, whether performed in character or not, need to be challenged. Do they uh, buy you? You know, it was really high-handed, because the head of the Pleasants was talking about how uh, his kind of, Sadowitz's kind of material has no place on the festival. Mm. Who the hell are you to yeah. say what, what has a place on the festival or not? I yeah. mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, Josh, this has obviously annoyed me a bit, but I think yeah. particularly because they've used that language that Nick just evoked, yeah, yeah. unsafe. The audience felt unsafe. Well, it wasn't about... And it, probably, and it seems like it wasn't actually the audience. It seems like the people who are working, the staff who are mostly students yeah. uh, up at the festival... They may have felt unsafe. But... It's this conflation of words and violence yeah, yeah. again. Uh, uh, no uh, one is unsafe absolutely. by someone take, telling but, jokes. But, but on the positive side, Luke Johnson, who's a co-owner of uh, the Assembly Rooms, which is also a fantastic venue, has come out and said that the Pleasants can get stuff telling other venues to ban artists just because they've lost their bottle. So Brilliant. people are standing up. People of authority are standing up. I stand, we talked about this yesterday, but I think it's a flashpoint to see if people are going to actually be brave and fight for their freedom within the, uh, the medium that we love. Right, well, let's move on to Tuesday's Mail now. And ministers have plans to deal with extremist speakers, Nick. Yeah, minister or, ministers order civil service chiefs to troll five years' worth of the social media history of potential speakers in order to block extremists and critics of government policy, in brackets, that right. last bit. <laughs> and in some ways, it's not that weird, because I did Britain's Got Talent and they do that, but in some ways, it does sound very disturbing that they're going to go back five years looking for problematic or controversial material in the past five years. But weirdly, this has been, this has been uh, demanded by Jacob Rees-Mogg, so therefore what I suspect this actually is is about sort of the woke takeover of the civil service that he talks about a lot, and they're probably trying to stop that infiltration. But that's not what he says, though. He says it's about racist behaviour or things, uh, extremism. He says it's about extremism and, and criticising government. Yeah, but wouldn't he just say that? I mean, it's just my guess. And if you look at this actual language later on, it's more moderate. He says, um, it says, there's questions question been raised over guidance, which says that vetting should be mindful of speakers, criticisms of government officials or policy, or a strong political partiality, which sounds a bit more modest than we're going to troll through five years looking to see if you so like the, the government. But that would trouble me as well. If the idea that the civil service is, no, is going to vet speakers simply because they've been critical of the government, that suggests an, uh, a, a lack of impartiality among the civil service, doesn't it? Yeah. They should be inviting people of all stripes. They should be. And, and, and do you know what? It definitely sounds disturbing to me and, and, and wrong. But I, the, the part that confuses me is why would Mog be behind it, which makes me think mm. maybe it's like what I said about McCarthy the other, the other day when I said that Joseph McCarthy didn't go far enough. Because if you do, if you do have an infiltration by a radical ideology that is an existential threat to your whole way of life, which is this new ideology we have. Maybe you do need to sort of stamp people out. I don't know. I'm no, giving, Nick. No, let's I'm not have that. I'm just giving a possibility. I, I, well, what, what do you think, Josh? Because, I mean, this is interesting. Like, if they're saying that they don't... They want to check that people haven't said grotesquely racist things and then invite them to civil service, fine. I get that. You don't... Obviously, you don't want someone like that coming onto the civil service. But if it's just people casually cri criticising... Yeah. Legitimately criticising the government, I don't think they should be vetted. No, I mean, no, that's a real worry. No, 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 there, that is a concern. But I think that there have been some examples in the past of people who've been brought in and actually people being brought in 
for diversity issues, and then you go back into their history, yeah. and you're like, whoa, you said some pretty crazy stuff. Okay, it's okay. Like, we're talking about slightly Islamist. Uh, you know, so, so, yeah, very, so that's yeah, extremism, yeah, right? Extremism, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, everybody should be looking at people's social media. In, in not not of course for for those, for for, dis, for views where you disagree. Yeah. But I wish that Labour would look into their candidates they put up for councillors because when they put up a bunch of people in the recent by-elections, and it, about five of their councillors basically had to immediately get suspended well, because course, they had a load of anti-Semitism. I mean, you why they're not doing political it? Candidates, I mean, you certainly. had the, the Anne Frank Trust invited some. Someone who was talking about death to Zionist scum and justifying the rockets. Right. How these organisations are not looking at social media. So if it is just vetting for extremism, that's one thing. But yeah. they use the phrase problematic well, this phrases, is that, and that, that, that worries me. When you start using those no, no, kind of absolutely. phrases, absolutely, of, like, mm. of course. Tuesday's Times uh, once more, uh, and even Spider-Man can't endure the hellscape that is social media. Nick, yeah, Spider-Man actor Tom Holland quits social media for sake of his mental health, and um, he says he goes into a spiral where he reads negative comments about himself online, and so he's taking a break, essentially, because it's detrimental to his mental state, which totally makes sense to me. I mean, he's got almost 70 million followers. I find it bad enough with my amount of followers. I mean, he must get some all, so it, all sorts uh, of horrible... must be mad. I mean, I've, I've muted everyone who doesn't already follow me so I can create an echo chamber. This is what I recommend to Tom, actually. If he is going to go back on, mute everyone who doesn't follow you, then you only see glowing things. Occasionally, one bad one gets to, you get rid of that. It's, uh, people underestimate the psychological mm. effects that it can have of being abused constantly yeah, online yeah. because we're not equipped for this, you know, you just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a million strangers who can just start attacking yeah, yeah. you needlessly. Well, I'm, to be honest, I'm a little bit worried because you know Nick and I had a little trump up, bust up earlier. It's like I'm going to be in the cab on the way home, and I'm going to look, and I'm going to say, "Yeah, Nick, you know," and all this—I don't know what the hell—and I'm already a little bit like. Oh God! Well, what people that. at home don't realise is really that was about sexual tension, all of that, you know. And <laughs> so nothing to do with with Trump. Both of us you don't fancy see what, Trump. You don't see what <laughs> happens <laughs> under the desk. Um, can I just say one little fun example of what you said? I, when I was getting cancelled, and it's nothing to the scale of other people, but it was a pretty nasty week. I couldn't sleep for like three days or eight. At one point, people were attacking me so badly on Twitter. I came across to my Instagram, which is very small, and someone had gone across to Instagram specifically to attack me. I kind of half fell asleep late at night. Then I got a loud knock on the door, and my first thought was, "They've come to my house." Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's how bad it gets. It, it does feel uh, very, very strange, you know. But what I've worked out, I've just, yeah. I've just turned on the quality filter on Twitter, and I'm not getting any insults anymore. I'm a bit disappointed, oh. actually. Anyway, Tuesday's Telegraph next, and and this dog, not such a, a good girl, Josh. Well, I mean, is 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 it the dog's fault? Is it the the women who took him up? Uh, this is Maggie the dog. Ma Maggie the Turkish Akbash. Yeah. Uh, let's let's have a look at Maggie. Okay, we got. To, what does she look like? Oh, I mean, very oh, yeah. sweet. So Lovely she's, dog. She's 35 kilograms. She's a pretty big dog. Yeah. Uh, they tr they took her up. Um, the, uh, up ben Mount Nevis. Up ben Nevis. 4,400 4, feet. And then halfway down, they she basically she hurt her paw as well. Yeah, her paws was the heat were... and everything. Yeah, like. it was they hot. tried to carry her down. So uh, the Loch Loch Aber Mountain Rescue essentially brought up this stretcher. To bring her down. Lock Harbour, apparently. Lock Harbour, okay. And they, so they yeah. took a stretch, they rescued the dog. They rescued but the I dog. have to and question it took the one wisdom. In, one in the morning. I do have to question the wisdom of. Yeah. Like, climbing Ben Nevis is scary stuff. A friend of mine's done it, and she told me that, like, they, they were warned as they were uh, going up that people die there all the time. It's really scary. Why would you take a dog for a walk up Ben Nevis, Nick? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just uh, loving the range of our shows. Like America's heading for civil war. Now let's look at a lovely dog. <laughs> well, the dog was rescued, and I think, it, I think he's a lovely. It's story. a don't lovely be, story. Don't be so cynical, Nick. Have you seen I'm the, have you seen the, the, the video of this dog that refuses to walk? 
and they, the owner's trying to pull him along and the dog just will not move. It's very funny. Well, Google, yeah. we're going to move on now. We haven't got much time, so let's go on to the times now. This is about Freya the Walrus. Yeah, enough oh. of this dog content. Let's get on to the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Norway puts down Freya the Walrus because public wouldn't leave her alone. Absolutely tragic. Mm. So basically, she was suffering stress because of the proximity of sightseers. So in the end, had to be killed because people wouldn't leave her alone. It's kind of a metaphor for my life. You know, she had <laughs> so many fans that she, she died, but I, whereas I only died inside. She, it's, it's terrible. Uh, there's a little interesting bit here. It says Freya was, was seen chasing a duck and attacking mm -hmm. a swan, which I thought was quite amusing, but it's sad. Because, yeah, they wouldn't stop messing around with Freya and they couldn't guarantee that Freya wouldn't attack them, as she probably would in that scenario, so they had to kill her. And animal activists have been saying they should have just people should have been fined instead for going near it. Well, walruses, my understanding is, um, is that walruses don't generally attack people. Really? But, and, it, and if people were, you but know, bother, are so annoying bothering the, the walrus, why, why does the walrus get blamed? Why do we put well, that... Well, I know this is, the, the Norwegian Fisheries Ministry warned last week that if people continue to approach the walrus, it would have to be put down. Right. And yes. they continue to do they it. Still so did it. They and still did it. They still did it. It's like those people keep coming up into celebrities and keep getting photos, even if they obviously hate it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. Uh, we've got one more story now. This is a Nick Daily Star. Oh. This is the, uh, the signs that someone is lying. What's this Top about? Top signs someone is lying from eye contact to perfectly still poker face. I don't believe that at all. Josh, you are a good comedian. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I broke the poker face, therefore I don't, it wasn't a lie. Mm. Um, so there you go. Yeah, it's apparently poker face. Fiddling with chips, presumably that only applies to poker. They're talking about poker chips, not yeah. Yeah, I think okay. so. And it's, yeah, and there's just basically people think they can tell if people are lying, but I'm not. It's not clear if they actually can. Okay. Brits admit they tell a lie four times a day on average, but these are liars, so it's probably much higher than that. I mean, <laughs> I mean this is the thing, Josh. Isn't it just best not to lie? I mean, sure, that no, would but, be the. But I think, but no, but there's that whole thing of like white lies and doing. Oh, I see. Like when you're lying to help. But, oh someone. yeah, this food is delicious. I see. That type, the nice lie. Oh, that's a nice. Are, so, you, are you talking about my tie? No, I, I just, You said to me earlier this was one of my best ties, Josh. I did, yes, but it was almost, that was a sort of, a bit of a diss about the rest. What is your tell, I wonder? How do well, I know when I you're I know lying? exactly what my tell is, it's the micro smirk. Oh, yeah, you I do that a lot. Some people enjoy performing a lie and will feel an inner desire to boast about how clever they're being fooling people. Well, I've now learned never to trust Josh Howie. That is all we have time for. Thank you to my guests, Josh and Nick. And join me tomorrow. I'm going to be hosting Headliners at 11pm, where we will go through the next day's papers as always. See you there. Farewell. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.